Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, USA fans, and tonight is the special edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. The United States at PQL Stadium, they defeat Mexico for the third time in a calendar year by a final of two goals to nil. Oh my goodness, unbelievable. Uh, what a match this was. What an unbelievable match this was, ladies and gentlemen. And for the United States, this victory puts them at the share of the top of the CONCACAF octagonal. It is unreal what we have seen, unreal what we have witnessed, ladies and gentlemen. And all I can say is that Greg Berhalter, somehow, some way, just unbelievable what he has done, what he has been unreal in this one. Share of the points, meaning on the standings, just unbelievable what we are doing here, what the situation is all about, because once again, ladies and gentlemen, the United States, in the state of Ohio, in the state of Ohio, just taking on and taking out on a very hard-fought match, a very, very hard-fought match. It was unbelievable what we have seen. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm very – this is an amazing win by this group of players because even though – these players, what they have done, not just in CONCACAF Nations League, not just what the, some of the players from MLS have done in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, defeating Mexico for two trophies. Now, in World Cup qualifying, the United States defeating Mexico for the third time on a calendar year, a single calendar year, Defeating Mexico, Greg Berhalter now is looking pretty solid and pretty strong with this victory tonight. Being joined by Kardik Krishnaya of World Soccer Talk. Kardik, this is a tremendous victory. This is an unbelievable victory. And I'll be honest with you right now, uh, this group of talented players have proven now to Mexico and all American players, whether they play abroad in Europe, whether it be the Premier League, La Liga, Bundesliga, Ligue 1 in France, Serie A, and of course the talent in MLS that's growing and growing and growing. This is a very notable victory against 
L Tree, who has done, an, you know, that so far, we have to be fair. This has been fantastic. Yeah, it's been it, it's been fantastic to say the least. I mean, I think the U.S. Um, is in it, look. I, I mean, the U.S. beat Mexico Jose Cero several times in qualifying, but th- there has not been a, a performance after the first 30 minutes this dominant. And I said this even uh, um, when the U.S. lost the Gold Cup final two years ago to Mexico. Um, I haven't seen a U.S. team actually play on the front foot as much against Mexico as Berhalter did in that game. So I think in terms of the U.S. v. Mexico, you're seeing um, a transition. The U.S. relied on the counterattack, relied on set pieces in the past against Mexico. I mean, granted, all our goals in the uh, – in the, in the Nations League final run set pieces. But we were on the front foot a lot of that match. So what, what I would say is I think for all the criticisms of Greg Berhalter, the, the really toxic fan base, the poisonous atmosphere around the national team, the tone set by fans on Twitter who don't really, a lot of them I don't think really understand the international game. They don't understand the club game either, if I'm going to be quite frank about it. What Berhalter has done is he's transitioned the style of play to where the U.S. can play on the front foot. You can play a high line defensively. I mean, I think the two best U.S. players today, I know Pulisic and McKinney got the goals, and, and there were I, I wasn't thrilled with how McKinney was playing in the first half, actually. I thought the U.S. midfield was very poor in the first half. But I think the two best U.S. players tonight were Timmy Weah, who, of course, won league on last year with Lil, uh, and his, uh, his little teammate, the guy who actually won them the league last year, Jonathan David, scored an important goal for Canada tonight. So they're... They're, they're right there in the mix uh, as well with the U.S. and Mexico. And then I think Walker Zimmerman had the match of his life as a, um, a, a, as a U.S. national team player. I mean, we've seen him play like this in MLS, but um, never with the national team, never in a game of this magnitude, right? And um, I think that uh, the, the, the – um, Back four for the U.S. was really solid today. I mean, I think uh, obviously Miles Robinson made a couple mistakes late in the match. It was a silly first yellow card he got. Um, there were a couple of niggling fouls from, from Yedlin in the first half. Although I think one of them really wasn't a foul. But the referee missed that, right, um, and, and called a foul on Yedlin. But I, I thought that back four was really good. Uh, they were playing a high line. They were – and this is something you've never seen the U.S. do against Mexico. You've seen the U.S. drift deeper and deeper, even in Dose Cerro games deeper and deeper with the back line, um, and really just have to gut out the mass, right? That wasn't the case today. I mean, it was just a matter of time. I know Pulisic gets the goal. He comes in, brings some energy. But I just felt it was a matter of time before the United States was going to score a goal or two or maybe three in that second half. Um, and, again, you know, I, I put Zimmerman and, uh, and Weah at the top of the list as far as guys today. I mean, I'm Timmy Weah um, playing more this season for Lille. I mentioned – Daniel, who won the title last year, he was an important guy coming off the bench for them last season. Uh, and particularly came off the bench, actually, that match at, at uh, Parc des Princes, where they beat PSG. Jonathan David got the goal, Canadian. Uh, but uh, Weah came up and held the ball well and did some interesting things playing centrally in that game. So he, he got a run out in last season, but this season he's playing regularly. He's starting regularly and he's playing on the right side, which is not where he typically played historically, but Burhalter has also now played him on the right side. And you saw he, um, he, he was very, very good today. And in fact, I think there were a couple um, 
run teammate and crosses he, he put in the box that weren't rewarded because the U.S. attackers were sort of flat-footed before Pulisic came on it. Pepe didn't have his best game, held up the ball decently well, but at times wasn't, wasn't there. And, um, and then also uh, there were a couple times that McKinney and, and Adams were flat-footed attacking the ball in the box or in Moussa. But, um, you know, great victory. Yeah, absolutely. I thought Tim Weah was one of the stars in this one. Just just how he consistently attacked down the right flank, just how just how solid he delivered the ball, just how strongly he delivered that ball, crossing it into the area. I mean, unfortunately for Brendan Aronson, I thought he did well attacking runs and everything in the middle of the pitch. Unfortunately, his uh, crossing during corners were very poor today, and hopefully they'll be fixed in the match against Jamaica. And I'll give him a pass on that because usually I know it's USA-Mexico, but still, though, you know, we haven't seen Brendan Aronson being poor at anything during this run in World Cup qualifying because he's been doing an amazing job over in Salzburg in Austria for Red Bull. But, you know, I agree with you. Tim Weah was absolutely tremendous in this one. The consistency of him going down the right flank, attacking with the ball, crossing the ball in dangerous areas, at times, it didn't look like that anybody was going to get there, or if they were going to get there, they were not available to get the ball or at least get a shot on goal, maybe a couple of times, but nothing too dangerous. But then when Pulisic comes in, and he comes out of nowhere and gives that glancing header into the back of the net and beats Guillermo Ochoa, I'll tell you, Kardec, this is a sign, and I don't... And I, when I call Tim Way a football royalty, it's always because of his father, obviously. It's always because of his yeah. dad. Because the truth is, is this. The lineage is strong inside Tim Way. He has the ability to do some damage. He just, probably he's not the prolific goal scorer his father was once a long time ago for Liberia as well for Milan. But you know what, though? The truth is, is that if you've got a kid that is strong, savvy, and can attack down that flank and play somewhat of a mixed winger slash attacker, but it looks like this is more his style. I mean, you can do anything and everything on the pitch. And in a big matchup like this, in El Clasico against Mexico, in this region of World Cup qualification, I'm telling you right now, Kardec, Tim Weah is going to be a growing star. Now, I don't know if he'll remain in Ligue 1, but as of right now, he's just brilliant. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think um, he's, he, he's getting to play this year as well, right? The concern last year was they won the league, as I said, but he wasn't playing as much as maybe we'd like him to play. They sold some guys, right? Samari went to, to Leicester, um, among other guys, that they sold this summer. So he's got more of an opportunity to play this season. Um, I think, I mean, for me, it's pretty clear that what we are seeing now is a U.S. team that's really high on confidence when they have the ball, when they're able to play out of the back and, 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 and play through the lines. Uh, we saw some flat-footedness. I mean, I, I think actually it was a, it was a great uh, header by Pulisic, but uh, Weah was, had his head up. He was looking to put the ball in the area. And I have to say, uh, again, I don't want to be critical. This was such a great night uh, with a few exceptions, but um, McKinney didn't make a run. Okay, he, he didn't pick up his run, and Pepe didn't pick up his run. Pulisic made the run, 
Uh, but Way uh, was ready to cross the ball about a second or two earlier. Uh, that would be my one criticism. I mean, the other, the only other criticism I have on the night was obviously early on Zach Steffen had to make a couple saves. Um, we're not accustomed to seeing Mexico beat up on the counter historically, right? Because like I said, we played on the counter. We relied on set pieces. They tended to play on the front foot. Now, um, the tables have turned a little bit. We had a lot of possession. We had a lot of the ball tonight. I don't know what the final statistic was, but it's more than usual. I mean, even our last trip down to Azteca, we had the ball. We got a draw down there, but we had the ball 26% in that match. Uh, it was a, goal, a game where Michael Bradley scored an early goal and we hung out for a 1-1 draw um, under Bruce Arena. But we, um, we tend to not have the ball against these guys. And today we did, but there were a couple times in the first half uh, we nodded off defensively, and they caught us on the counter. Uh, the first save for Stefan, I think, was pretty routine, but the second big save was uh, a top save. That very easily could have been a goal, and we would have been down 1-0. Um, but, other, but after about minute 30, we really controlled this match. So uh, I think the key now is for us to stay at, at, at this level. Right, um, we're going to play Jamaica on Tuesday. Jamaica is uh, uh, started out struggling. Uh, today they blew a lead late, right in El Salvador. They went to Honduras and got three points in the last match. They got, as I said, a point in uh, in um, uh, uh, in El Salvador tonight. Could have been three. Uh, Mikel Antonio got the goal for them. We know how good he's going in the Premier League right now, right? He's West Ham is in, is in third, I think, in the league, and he's leading the line for them. So. Um, that's going to be a tough match. The key thing now is not to get too high after this because that will be a tough match in Jamaica. Um, Them blowing the points late today uh, probably puts them out, right? I I was thinking they were going to make a run, and I know I said that on the last show, and and, uh, it was working out tonight, too. I was thinking, okay, they they get three points here in El Salvador. If they somehow beat the U.S., they're right back in it. Uh, but they're still very strong. Like I said, that they, they, they blew three matches right off the bat because of the, they were on the red list. I think you know, if you take World Cup qualifying from the matches, Jamaica has their full squad. They're, they're right up there with Canada and Panama chasing us and chasing Mexico. Um, then in January, we've got to play at Canada. And I'm telling you right now, that is the match that I'm looking at thinking that's the tougher match than going down to Azteca, as crazy as it sounds. So um, – the important thing is not to get too high after this because we have had these victories over Mexico before that have then um, afterwards we've gone into a tailspin or we've had, had some difficulty. Uh, so uh, don't want to do that. But at the same time, this was really good. I also have to say it was really uh, – McKinney, bit of a hothead, gets that, that yellow. He's out against Jamaica. Miles Robinson's obviously out now. But it was good Yedlin didn't get that uh, – that, that yellow that it looked like he was going to get for accumulation. Because if he had gotten that, he'd be out on uh, Tuesday. I know the fans want to see Joe Scaly. And I've seen a fair amount of Scaly at Mobbox this season in the Bundesliga. I like him like everybody else does. Um, I, I, I think he's a phenomenal talent. And starting in the Bundesliga, starting for a good Bundesliga team, uh, has uh, started for a team that's beaten – that he, he started, scored a goal, right, in the match against Bayern, let's say 1-3-0, shocking, mm-hmm. 4-0 in the German Cup. But Joe Scaly is still an uncapped 18-year-old. Okay? I, and, mm-hmm. and so I re- appreciate the fact he is playing at a really high level 
at a really good club in Muchen Gladbach, in, in, in a top league, not just in a top league, but a top club in that league, a, league, a team that's always competing to be in, in, in Champions League. But I still think it's tough to throw a guy like that into CONCACAF qualifying um, just like this. You know, I, I, I still think it's a, it, it, it's a dangerous thing to do. There were, the fan base was calling for Scaly. Uh, everybody was going crazy. Uh, saying we have to see him, we have to see him. Vorhalter didn't call him up last time, and everyone was angry. This time he did call him up. He had to because he's been playing that well. But um, I'll be honest, when DeAndre Yedlin was starting, I think that's the right call. That's mm-hmm. what I do if I'm on Vorhalter. But I got off Twitter immediately because I saw what was going on, what the reaction right. to that was. So I am actually thankful uh, Yedlin didn't pick up that yellow because I think we do need him in Jamaica. Um and then, you know, you, 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 you bed Scaly in. Scaly will be probably the right back in the World Cup. Or maybe it's Serginio Dest. I don't know. Um, Dest, I think, has to improve uh, his play at Barcelona. And when I've seen him, he's, he's quite frankly, he's been terrible this season when I've seen him. But um, I don't think this is the time for that. And I think you probably agree with that, Daniel. As well as Scaly has played, I think this was absolutely the right call to go with the Edlin today. A couple shaky moments early, right? A couple fouls. One which I don't think should have been called, by the way. Um, but he didn't pick up a yellow, and we kept the clean sheet. So I, I think mission accomplished. Oh, absolutely, mission accomplished. And to see what you know these players oh, have oh, done. Oh, by the way, Dan, I, I, I should. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Um, these fans who are saying Scaly is playing in the in the Bundesliga, he's starting. He, he, he's phenomenal for Muchen Gladbach. I need to forget that DeAndre Yedlin played like six seasons in the Premier League. To him, now because he's not the young flavor of the month, which we know U.S. fans are really into recently, he's suddenly, you know, uh, uh, chopped liver or whatever. So I didn't appreciate that either because they're like, oh, well, look at what a high-level scale he's playing at. I've been hearing that all week. It's like Yedlin, okay, Yedlin's in Turkey now. I understand he's in the Leicester League, but he played seven, He was the only American in the last uh, – uh, five, six years that lasted in the Premier League. I mean, you got to give him some credit for that. He's a good player. So, anyway. Yep. No, I'm just saying, you know, look, I agree with you about Scaly. Uh, Scaly, he needs an opportunity here if he uh, gets it. Normally, I would love to see a guy like that get an opportunity in a friendly, especially this coming yeah. December against Bosnia-Herzegovina that's going to be played in December. So, I mean, to me – that would be an excellent time for him to get an opportunity for the men's national team. And then if you want to use him in the January and uh, February slash March uh, qualifiers, then that's fine. Um, but once again now, because of the situations with both Weston McKenney and Miles Robinson, you know, uh, that are being basically suspended, one on yellow card accumulation and the other one on a double yellow into red, you have no choice. You're going to have to use Scally now and see what he can do. Yeah. But I will say this. But I will say this. Throughout the match, you knew this was going to be a back-and-forth situation. It always is between the U.S. and Mexico because these are the games that you expect a little bit of back-and-forth, that you're going to get chances. Some will be clear-cut and some will not be. Some will have a half a chance. Some will have a quarter of a chance. And that's what we saw back-and-forth in this one. And, but the thing is, is this. You didn't see anybody too nervy. Maybe the U.S. kids were a little bit nervy because why? Because this is their first ever Dos Acero. Maybe not their first time playing USA Mexico, but their first time now where the points are really, really precious. Oh, yeah. I, I, 
So, so Daniel, um, again, I think a lot of our fans lose, lose perspective at times. Some of them are newer fans, so I, I respect that. And they're going through their first, first qualifying cycle. I, I, Gold Cup is nice. Nations League is nice. Those two matches combined aren't half as important as tonight. This is the match. So I, I, I think those were nice. But that's why you don't bloodlet and initiate kids tonight. And and Berhalter got it right. He got it right. No, he did. He absolutely got the lineup right. I didn't have a problem with the lineup. I thought, you know, back line he got right, midfield got right, up top got right. Everything looked strong and solid by Greg Berhalter. But once again, I'm going to bring it up. And I have to bring it up. And I know he had a good game today. And I'm happy for him that he got a good game today in West in uh, Zach Steffen. But I'm sorry, Cardick. I'm sorry. He is not the full-time starter at Manchester City. He, I don't care how many times he has to train with world-class players. Training minutes does not give you the opportunity to play in regular games, in regular time. You cannot be a starting goalkeeper if you are not getting the minutes for your club side. Matt Turner, who has been sensational all season long, all MLS season long, and I know it hurts people when I say this. I know it pains them when I'm saying this. But this is the truth. If you have a starting goalkeeper in Matt Turner, whether he plays in MLS or he plays abroad. And he is getting regular minutes and has had a miracle season of winning the Supporters' Shield with 73 points, record-breaking season with Bruce Arena in the helm of that ship. He is your starting goalkeeper, period. I don't care if, if Greg Berhalter believes that Stefan is a better goalkeeper than Matt Turner. The truth is, he probably is a better goalkeeper than Matt Turner. He has the tools. I've never said that Zach Stefan is not a quality goalkeeper. I did not say that Zach Stefan is chopped liver. All I've ever said was, he's not starting. Many people on Twitter, or many of our colleagues on Twitter, like Max Bredos, formerly of Fox Soccer Channel, ESPN. He's the lead broadcaster for LAFC games. Eric Gomez of ESPN Deportes has said this. If you follow Tactical Manager on Twitter, who's been spot on, who's been also on Max Breos' podcast, and many other people have said, and I'm quoting Eric Gomez here, and this is what he has said about Zach Steffen. A backup is a backup. Up, and that is all he is right now a backup goalkeeper at Manchester City period I'm not doubting the skills of Zach Steffen but if he's not starting every single week in the Premier League if he is not a part Premier League competition and League Cup competition and FA Cup competition not the once-in-a-while starter. I'm talking about every single damn week. Then I would be comfortable with Zach Steffen in goal. 
He played strong today. He played much better today. More disciplined today. I give him credit for that. But what he did against Costa Rica was an absolute disgrace. And to me, which will never happen with U.S. soccer, but if it was me running U.S. soccer, that's a fireable offense, period. Greg Berhalter is lucky that U.S. soccer does not have the chutzpah, nor do they have the brains, nor do they have the initiative to challenge him and say to him, Greg, we cannot allow you to, we cannot allow you to have Zach Steffen start this important World Cup qualifier. We know you believe in him. We know you manage him in Columbus. But he's not playing regularly at Manchester City. And until Manchester City and Pep Guardiola, the club that you support, the club that you love so much in the Premier League, does not start Stefan on a regular basis, well then, here's the solution. Send him out on loan. I'm not saying you're getting rid of Zach Stefan. I'm not saying you've got to say, you know what, if you do this, that it's all over for him. Because Manchester City, if they still believe in him, which they still do because they signed him to an extension, put him out on loan. There is no option to buy. Man City can do that. Man City can tell either a Championship League club, a Football League One club, a Football League Two club, you have him on loan, we want him to get proper minutes, Go ahead and have him for this amount of matches. But there is no option to buy. I think it's very simple. And no matter how many times people have said to me, he's a quality goalkeeper, he's playing with and you know training with the best players in the world, that's fine, that's great. Is he starting every single game? No, he's not. The only time he ever started a Premier League game this year is because Economy Bowl, South American World Cup qualifiers, had to be played an extra day because of the two scheduled match days that were taken out because of the coronavirus. They had to play three games in a week, and they had no choice but to do so. And that's why Ederson did not play in the Premier League after the international break was over, because it was two days in between both the final World Cup qualification day in South America and then, the re- and then the restart of the Premier League season for Manchester City. I think I've been fair and honest in my criticism of this, uh, in this idea, in this suggestion. I think I've been honest. But no matter what we say, no matter what I say, how dare I root for an MLS starting goalkeeper when you've got Zach Steffen at Manchester City and I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I speak the truth. And if you don't like the truth, well, I'm sorry for you. Yeah. So, 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 so Daniel, you know, I, I think you can play a keeper. But, so, first off, I mean, historically, we had the same issue with, uh, with Brad Grisad, right? He signed with Aston Villa uh, in 2008. We were all excited. And then two weeks later, uh, Aston Villa signed Brad Friedel. And at that point, we know, holy crap, you know, Guzan's not going to play uh, ahead of Friedel. And it uh, doesn't matter what the situation was with the U.S. team where Friedel retired and Guzan was 
one of our two keepers. I mean, he was not going to play ahead of Friedel in, in the Premier League. And so Guzan sat behind Friedel for uh, three seasons until Friedel left to go to Spurs. You remember that? Uh, mm-hmm. Three whole seasons. He, he got to play one game because Friedel got a red card. And then the uh, red card got – so then we thought, okay, Friedel got a red card. Guzan's going to get to start a game. And then the red card got rescinded. Um, uh, which, which I was kind of happy about. I have to admit, because Brad Friedel set the, the record for consecutive matches started. I mean, this is interesting. The Premier League, uh, the, 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 the record for consecutive matches started by a single player is by an American. It's by Brad Friedel. Uh, because that period of, time, period of time, Blackburn started every match. Um, Villa, he started every match uh, until he moved to Spurs. And Spurs, his first season there, he started every match. Um, and then he, he turned 40, and, you know, he, we know what happens. But um, Guzan was sitting behind him for three years. And I was thinking, gosh, you know, Bob Bradley keeps picking Guzan and would bring Guzan in at strategic times uh, even though Tim Howard was the established starter, uh, because he had coached Guzan at the club level at Chivas USA, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so this just feels kind of similar, where because um, and by the way, you know, once Friedel left, Guzan got a couple seasons starting at Villa and he did really well, but he sat for three seasons uh, uh, behind. Uh, you know, it's the same thing, right? You know, Stefan's going to sit for a couple seasons behind Ederson. Ederson's one of the top keepers in the world. Um, Guzan was sitting behind Friedel, who had retired from the U.S. team, but was still one of the top keepers in the world, or at least in that league, right? He was one of the top keepers in England. He was always going to start. He was going to start every game. So this feels very similar because it's, it's his former club coach. Like, it wasn't that interesting. You know what? I ended up becoming a big Brad Guzan fan eventually. But at the time, I was just furious. I mean, there was one match I was at where it was a friendly. And um, I was covering it. I was media. And uh, Howard came out at halftime, and Guzan came on. And I asked Bradley after the game and got really kind of uh, – U.S. soccer's press officer, we all know who, who I'm talking about, got mm-hmm. very angry at me and tried to, tried to rough me up because I would say, you know, you're playing a guy 45 minutes in this friendly. This is the only time he plays. <laughs> you know, he's playing behind Brad Friedel and Villa. Oh, so I guess he got the cup matches, Guzan. Like, Stephen gets the cup matches at Man City. But you could see the Rostov Guzan with the U.S. team. Just like we see it with Stefan with the U.S. team. And I have to tell you, the few times Stefan has played for Man City that he started, he hasn't looked great. Um, because, again, he's not playing regularly. So you, you, make some of the, you make mental errors. That having been said, this might be, a, this might be a, a, a done deal, right? He started today. He made two critical saves. I think one of them was a really good save. Uh, yeah. The second save of, the, of that sequence was a really good save. It was a tough save mm-hmm. to make. So I guess, you know, Berhalter has made his decision. I I don't agree with it, but he's gotten away with it so far. I mean, he got away with it against Costa Rica because Nava, Kaylor Navas got injured. We still have to remember that about that match. Um, yep. And you're right. It was a fireball offense, and he got away with it because Navas, who – and one of the top players in CONCACAF, best goalkeeper to come out of this region since Brad Friedel, I'd argue, um, got hurt. <laughs> you know, that was a, a lucky break for us. But, yeah, so um, I agree with you. I agree with Max. Um, I, a tactical manager, I agree with. But um, I think he made his decision. I mean, I was pretty furious yesterday when I – saw the news and I decided, look, I've made an issue out of it on Twitter before. I'm just going to let it go this time. 
Um, hope it works out. Seems to have worked out today. But, you know, again, he didn't face anything in the second half. I don't know, even know if Mexico had a – I guess they had like a meek shot on target late in the second half. But there was a point in the second half where Mexico had no shots, period, and the U.S. had nine shots. So, you know, you play Stefan up in Canada. Because I'm telling you, I think Canada is arguably the better team now uh, between Canada and Mexico. They, they certainly, with Alfonso Davies and um, Jonathan David, have two guys playing, I think, at a higher level than any Mexican player. Maybe Jimenez, mm-hmm. if he comes back from this injury – Taylor Coleman made some really good points in commentary about Jimenez's tentativeness. We've seen that also uh, in the Premier League as he's come back at Wolves, you know, with a monster before the injury. You get an injury like that, head injury, you're you're, you're, you're hesitant, right? He's scored a couple goals since he's come back in England. But I I think right now you don't put Jimenez on that same level that that, that Jonathan Davis on. So I think the Canada game is going to be tough. And if we start stepping up there, uh, he might have a mistake or two in him. Now maybe we'll qualify anyway, right? It's a, the the four the top four have separated themselves now with Jamaica dropping that late game today. Um, I think it looks like you know, three of the four will make the World Cup. I think Canada will make it. I think we'll make it. I think Mexico and Panama uh, are fighting for that third spot, in my opinion. And I think it's it's um, Mexico should make it, but I don't know. I think Panama Panama's shown a a resilience, and, and I think when they get Mexico down in, 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 in Panama City, they might beat them. So we'll see what happens there. But so we might be fine. But I still think I agree with you. I just think the decision's been probably made. We still we're still running a risk. Okay, so I don't know what's going to happen down at the office in Kingston in terms of goalkeepers. I assume now Stefan is starting. Okay, I think we just have to assume that. And I, I guess what happened was that Berhalter needed us to lose a match to make the change. And we lost the match in Panama, even though Matt Turner was arguably our best player that night. Yeah, he was. We, we, what was it, 1 0? It could have been 3 or 4 0 at least, right? Well, didn't we say that yeah. after that match? Yeah. Absolutely. So, I, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. To make the change. So I think this is it. He's a, he's a former this is former player, former coach, and um, he's playing favorites. I mean, I, I I I'm as upset as everyone else, but I guess we just have to accept it. I, I, I don't want to accept it, but you know what I'm saying. I just, we just have to. It is what it is. I'm not accepting it. I, I refuse to accept it, and I will never accept it because I think it's a bunch of crap. I don't think that Zach Steffen has warranted anything to be the starting goalkeeper right now because he is not the full-time starter at Manchester City, period. I don't care. Anyone can say to me, oh, look, he's playing in the Premier League. That's only one game, one yeah. single game. It's and I want to say this, deal. and, 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 and like this said, is the last got, thing I will say about the Zach Steffen situation, Cardick. Yeah. For asking yeah. the question of U.S. of Bob Riley at the time, you're, you're calling Guzan, you're, you're putting him in after 45 minutes, that's the only 45 minutes of competitive football he gets because at Aston Villa, every single minute of the Premier League season, that season, that particular season, Brad Friedel played every single minute. So Guzan played zero minutes. So it's, it's, it's very similar. I guess you're right. Stefan has 90 minutes under, under his belt this year because he did get that one game. The year that I'm talking about, Guzan didn't get a single minute. Friedel had... 38 times 90, whatever many minutes that is, 38 matches, 90 minutes, Friedel played every minute. So, uh, Guzan played zero minutes. 
what I'm what I'm saying is that this is like a thing with with former coaches and and their goalkeepers, and I guess that's that's it. So I will say this in terms of Verhalter's thinking, maybe he has a system, right? He's a system coach, which Bradley wasn't, right? He is a system coach, uh, Verhalter. Bradley was more of a pragmatist, um, and he feels like he's the guy who's his keeper to start the attack playing out of the back. Because you notice uh, Stefan doesn't boot long balls, right? He doesn't kick goal kicks long. He just he passes it to one right. of the defenders, right? So right. I think that might be the determining factor. Burhalter's like, this guy's more comfortable executing my system because he's played in my system at Columbus. Um, I still think that's a ridiculous reason, but I think that's probably the reason. Yeah, yeah no, I agree with you there. But this is my yeah, last thing about the Zach Steffen situation, if I can just um, – yeah. let me just throw this out there. And you can agree with me or disagree with me. It's fine. No matter how many great footballer, great footballers there are, and mostly in the goalkeeper position, okay, Peter Schmeichel, Oliver Kahn, Jens Lehmann, David Seaman, David James, our own Tim Howard – as you said, Brad Friedel, Casey Keller. Would this have happened to any one of these goalkeepers, these famous goalkeepers playing in a high level of football, not just on the club level, but for their national team? Any keeper you can think of, would these shenanigans work? during their time then, or if they were playing now. If you want to go with Casper Schmeichel, Peter's son, you can add him too if you want. He won a Premier League title with Leicester. Yeah, he won a Premier League. won the FA Cup this year with Leicester. So there's won an FA Cup with, with Leicester. Yeah, yeah. There's only one example I can think of, which is Sergio Romero um, playing for Argentina while he was the backup for Manchester United. And then finally they got to the World Cup. And they decided, um, I think it may have been Tata, was Tata Martino their manager? I, I think oh, maybe it was Sampoli. Basically, like, like, this guy's not playing, right? He's at Man United, yes, but he's getting the cup matches. Uh, but De Gea plays every game. This is just a few years ago, right? Last World Cup. De Gea I plays think so, every yeah. game. We got to play another. Yeah, we have, to, we have to play another keeper. So that's the only time I remember, like, a high-level national team playing a keeper that wasn't playing regularly at their club. I mean, it's, it's a bizarre, bizarre thing. I mean, Memo Ochoa, the opposite number tonight. Memo Ochoa is a journeyman in Europe, a really good keeper, but he's a journeyman because he kept moving around so that he keep playing so he kept the Mexico number one shirt, and he's been their number one keeper for 13 years now. Uh, I mean, there have been a couple times when they've put Osvaldo Sanchez or somebody else in there, but he's, he's been their number one guy. Casey Keller, you mentioned. Why did Casey Keller play for so many clubs? Because he moved around so that he could keep the number one shirt wherever he was so he could keep playing for the national team. Uh, Brad Friedel was very lucky after he left Liverpool. He was the number one everywhere he was. I mean, he, he was just uh, – I mean, Friedel might have been a better club player than he was national team player, right? He's so highly thought of in, in England. And people in England are – there are people in England who tell me how, how – ask me for the U.S., how could you have started Keller ahead of Friedel? And Friedel's like one of the best key. They, they consider Friedel like on the same level with David Seaman and Peter Schmeichel, two of the guys you mentioned. And they say they don't, they don't rate Keller that highly in that country. And 
they asked me how did Keller play? How did Friedel? He was better from the national team, and he, and I guess it was just you know something something a lot. He pushed better with the U.S. teammates, but all of those guys were playing at the point. Keller and Ochoa, who we saw tonight, those guys that kept moving around from club to club to make sure they kept playing so they could stay in the national team. That you know that is really a, a, a pretty huge deal. Jurgen Summer did it too, actually. When uh, uh, he won, Jurgen Summer played several years in the lower divisions of England uh, just so that he could get games so he would stay in the national team picture. Now, he was behind Keller and Friedel, but he kept playing, is my point. Uh, Marcus Hahnemann did it too, right? He dropped down the division at one point. He went to the championship, which is what you're suggesting Stefan does. And Hahnemann stayed in the national team, and he wasn't even starting. So maybe we've let the standards slip. Maybe we just don't have as many good keepers as we did then. Well, I think of guys like Marcus Hahnemann uh, and Jurgen Sommer. Both those guys would start for this team. I, I'm not kidding. They, I know they were third-string keepers for us. Zach Thornton would probably start for this team. Um, Kevin Hartman would probably start for this team. So mm-hmm. our, our standard keeper has slipped, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's, we don't have as many good keepers. And um, I can't say, hey, you know, we didn't uh, – back in the day, all these guys were playing <sighs> – but I, the, the most easy, easy example for me is the Guzan example, because I lived that. And as it turned out, when Guzan, when Friedel left Aston Villa and went to Tottenham, and Guzan then beat out Shea Given for the, number, for the number one spot, he was really good for several seasons. But we didn't know that at the time, okay, because he wasn't playing. So it's possible Ederson will move on from Manchester City in a year or two, like Friedel moved on from Villa. And Stefan will play, and City will keep winning league titles with him. But we don't know that right now. So I, I have a problem with it, but it is, it is what it is, Daniel. And I, I guess we're not going to see Matt Turner unless Stefan's hurt. That's got to be my assumption at this point. Yep, exactly. Unfortunately, that's what it is. And until, um, you know, uh, until something really horrible happens, it's, still, it's just still going to continue on. I mean, there'll be a big question mark in the January uh, games, but outside of that, um, we really Man, don't it's know. A problem because even Horvath's not playing either. I, I, he might. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are some problems. That, uh, you know, uh, Steve Cooper's come into to Forrest, a new manager, who I'm told likes Horvath, has liked him better seeing him in training than, than uh, uh, the previous manager uh, did. So he, uh, Chris Hutton did. So he might get a couple games here and there, but right now he's not playing either. So Matt Turner is the guy who's playing regularly, and he's playing at a high level. I don't think this is a difficult decision, but I have to go back. You and I talked about this on a previous show. Burhalter has had something against Turner the whole time because it took Turner forever. Burhalter was calling up random guys from MLS. You know, he called Bill Hamid back to the national team. Uh, he, you know, Sean Johnson keeps getting called up. Sean Johnson's good, but he keeps getting called up. Random MLS guys were getting called up while Matt Turner was already the best keeper in MLS and couldn't get a call up. Do you remember when that was going on like 18 months ago? Yep. Um, so he, there's something about Turner he doesn't like. I don't know what it is. And I, I would think Turner would have erased all those doubts by now. I mean, he's, I, I don't know. He, just, he doesn't like them for some reason. I, I can't, can't put my finger on it. I can't put my finger on it either. I just think that he just wants to use Stefan, which I don't blame him for using Stefan because he feels that Stefan is his guy. 
He knows him in Columbus, and that's fine. He believes that Stefan is the number one guy. That's fine. He's playing over in Europe. Okay, that's fine. He's at Man City. He's one of the best clubs in the world, especially one of the best clubs in England. That's fine. But if Man City's not using him properly, well, then why should he be used properly here? He shouldn't be, period. Should not be used at all. If Matt Turner was injured during warm-ups or he was injured during a game and you needed Zach Steffen to go out there and to hold the fort down, I don't have a problem with it. It's fine because you're bringing in a guy who's supposed to be, you know, the heir apparent at Man City when Ederson is done. Or if you're going to let him walk and sign with another club, it's okay. I understand. There's an injury. You don't throw him out there when he's only played one Premier League match. I mean, I mean, right now, the FA Cup is not being played for Premier League teams until you get closer to uh, Christmas. I mean, I don't know if, if, the, if Man City is still in, in the League Cup matches. If he is, then he played. I mean, it's really simple mathematics, Carter. Yeah, I mean, I, I, guess, I guess the one thing that Berhalter would probably say when you mentioned the Cup competitions is that uh, last season Man City won the League Cup and Stefan was in goal, and Man City got to the semifinals of the FA Cup, and Stefan was in goal for that. However, I will mention in that semifinal game, Man City lost because of Zach, Zach Stefan. And by the way, John Champion and Taylor Coleman, the same two gentlemen who were calling the game tonight, were calling that game. And Taylor Coleman was talking about it on the broadcast. I know a lot of people were very unhappy with him that day, but he was right. He kept harping on in the broadcast. But basically, Stefan's positioning is all wrong. Stefan's making mistakes. And then finally, Chelsea scored because Stefan was in the wrong place, right? He came off his line too late, and he had put it past him. Um, so yeah, he, he had played in those cup competitions and had made mistakes. <laughs> so, um, so even though he's playing in the cup games, and, again, they did win the League Cup, and he played in every single one of those games. And the FA Cup, they got to the semifinals, which means that they won, you know, five games to get there or four games to get there. Um, so he played in five games there. He played in six, six, six League Cup games, including a win over Man United in the semifinals, win over Spurs in the final. But um, when he's, he has made, made a disproportionate number of mistakes. I can say this as a City fan. For, for the minutes he's played, he's made a, a – a extraordinary number of mistakes as a goalkeeper. Even the one Premier League game he played last season, um, he made a mistake right off the bat, coming off his line, uh, handling the ball outside the area, uh, giving Chelsea a uh, – it was lucky he didn't get a red card, honestly, um, giving Chelsea an opportunity to score early. Then, then City took over the game, and he, he didn't have much to do, and he, and he won that game. That was a game where Ederson, when Ederson had COVID last season. Um, and Ederson had got COVID uh, around Christmas when there was a huge COVID outbreak in the UK. And he, um, Stephanie got to play that game, and then he got to play uh, the League Cup game, which was around the same time. And there was an FA Cup game around the same time. So he played like three matches in a row. But in the Premier League match he played in, he made a horrific error. Um, and like I said, the FA Cup match, uh, again, again against Chelsea, um, they lost that match because of Stephanie. So, but he is Borhalter's guy, and I think uh, – we spent a lot of time talking about him tonight, and I, I think the real issue with Stefan is probably that, that Berhalter trusts him to start the attack as the goalkeeper with his feet. I will admit that. I, Stefan's better with his feet than, than, than Turner is, um, but I would rate Turner as a better shot stopper at this point. That, that's that's yep. what I think, and um, I know the game is evolving, and so this goes back, I think, 
Daniel, the overriding point here is this goes back to Burhalter being about his system and his style, um, which we can criticize because as a national team, maybe you need to be pragmatic and just fit the guys that you got. It's not like a club team where you can go out and pick guys to fit your system, which is what he did in Columbus, right? He seems mm-hmm. to be used in Columbus. But, of course, half his players in Columbus were foreign players. He had Federico Iguain and Ola, Ola Kamara, and he had uh, Mensa on the uh, – right, Mensa, right, the Nigerian player on the back line. Uh, he, had, he had Jonathan Mensa. Yeah, he had all these really good uh, guys who were, um, who were not necessarily uh, American because he needed guys who could play that system. Um, and uh, Justin Miram, you know, Iraqi international. He, he's American, right? He's eligible to play. He was eligible to play for the U.S. But all these good players that could play, execute his style of play in Columbus that were um, not USMNT eligible, he, he was able to go out and sign them. You can't do that with a national team. So basically, he's trying to fit all. He's trying to fit the pieces of the guys that 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 can fit his system, which is again. We mentioned this before with Serginio Depp. Serginio Depp came through the Ajax system, which is the, I think, the, the club team that Verhalter is trying to mimic, right? He's taken basically a template from, from uh, Dutch football and tries to apply it in the U.S. Um, and I think he believes Stefan. He, he, he's as concerned about the footwork of the keeper and the keeper's distribution, right? Uh, not booting mm-hmm. long goal kicks, uh, but playing the ball nicely, to, uh, to defenders, and then in the flow of play, if the, defend, if the ball comes back to you, being able to push it wide, um, particularly on the left side, right? Because we see Anthony Robinson now. Um, and this is what I've seen from Fulham, too, under Marcus Silva this season, getting forward an awful lot for the U.S. on the left side. So what I think Verhalter wants to see is kind of quick change of, of, of fields um, and, and, and a transition uh, through, through the keeper uh, to the left side where Robinson is, is going forward. And we saw Miles Robinson hit him with one of those balls today, right? Really good mm-hmm. ball that, that created an opportunity, actually created that, that, that dangerous free kick early. That's yep. why I think he likes Stefan, because I think he thinks Stefan is better with his feet and um, Turner isn't as good. With, he doesn't think anyone else is as good with their feet in the U.S. pool, which is, um, which is probably true. But, again, I – it is what it is. He's going to play. I mean, Stefan's going to start Tuesday. Stefan's going to start in January. He's just expected. Yep, exactly. We're going to take a caller here right now. We're going to get his uh, opinions on the match tonight, 302. Uh, area code, you can go ahead, please. Your thoughts on tonight's match. Yeah, um, I just, coming out of uh, – this dark period of COVID and whatnot. I'm just really kind of excited about seeing how, uh, you know, this team is, is coming together. You know, it's been also been a dark period for American soccer in the last few years, you know, missing world cups and, um, you know, just trying to pick up the pieces and being able to kind of assert uh, in a, in a big qualifying uh, cycle here where I think, you know, getting back into it as we're approaching hosting a, a World Cup down the road here, you know, really having this team uh, starting to play and gel, um, you know, it's good to see these young players coming up and uh, hopefully it just keeps moving forward here. You know, it's, um, you know, just to have something to root for and hopefully bring 
you know, a lot of people together. Uh, it's great to see a big crowd uh, cheering on the team and, and uh, just, you know what I'm saying? Just anyway. Mm-hmm. No, no, listen, you're absolutely correct. So, and let me just say this right now. The future has to be brighter than what we have seen so far. And unfortunately, it had to be basically moved up quickly after the debacle down in Trinidad and Tobago that eliminated this national team from going to the World Cup in Russia back in 2017. Uh, I mean, it's just devastating. I mean, we don't know what could have happened with some of these players that are now growing up. And the point is, is this, is that you're seeing American players right now, these young American players. And I wish they were all as good as Christian Pulisic, who obviously didn't have to play in MLS. He went straight over because of the European passport he has. Matthew Hoppe, who did the same thing. You know, he was able to go across, get scouted, never played in MLS. But then you've got guys like Tyler Adams, who I know personally played at the New York Red Bulls. You've got Weston McKinney, who was in the FC Dallas academy system, just like Jesus Ferreira was, like Ricardo Pepe is. And even though Mexico... You know, the SMF, they, they scouted Pepe, too, because he is Mexican-American. And they felt, listen, this kid's going to be a classic center forward. This kid's going to be amazing in the future of his uh, career, not just playing, you know, club, club-wise with FC Dallas currently. And then, of course, he's, gonna try, he's trying to go to make the move to Europe. But, you know, the national team uh, selection, depending on where you're able to go, either one destination or two, you know, can... Mexico steal another young player who is a Mexican-American and bring them over to their national team in all their glory and everything that goes on at the Azteca, you know, the historical victories that they've had at that stadium, World Cup qualification, dominating at the time, World Cup qualifiers, Gold Cups, you name it, they'll do it. But now you're seeing these great players. And, of course, some of them have lineage. Like we said, Tim Weah, his father, George, was just an unbelievable player. Uh, Giovanni Reina, sadly he's hurt, but we all know about his father, Claudio, who's done amazing things, especially in the 2002 run in South South Korea and Japan, where they knocked off Mexico in the second round of that World Cup. Mexico and the U.S. have not played each other uh, since that World Cup run in 2002. You're seeing all of these American players that are playing in MLS, gaining minutes in MLS, being scouted, by European clubs, whether they're the, the, the legacy clubs of England and Germany and, um, you know, Italy or Spain, even in France, like with Lyon or PSG, you know, some of these clubs, they were once powerhouses. They're not so good anymore, but they're still looking for talent outside their own uh, backyards or outside, you know, or within uh, the nation that they play in. You know, they're looking for talented players. And, what is going well, and, on right and now. And it's exciting. And it's exciting mm-hmm. because, I, you know, there was a time where MLS brought all of these players back from Europe that were not playing over there. And the team sort of I – mean, it was it was aging out, too. That was another problem. A lot of the players like Clint Dempsey and, and Landon Donovan were ending their careers. And so there – but anybody that was following that up was – ended up being brought, most of those were brought back to MLS and they didn't get probably that level that you're starting to see now with a lot of these younger players that are being 
uh, pulled over into Europe and starting to play at the big clubs. Anyway, I just wanted to call in and uh, no, listen. Thank you for calling in. Out. We appreciate it very, very much. And like I said, this is a renaissance right now. These kids are ready to go. They're playing, you know, consistently. 90 minutes, uh, they're coming off the benches every once in a while, roster rotation, obviously, during league games, you know, league cup games, FA cup games, the, the amount of minutes that they're earning, it's just astonishing, and it makes me happy and proud, makes an American soccer fan happy and proud that this is happening, and it's also making me proud that there is talent in our nation and it's getting the start in MLS that the hope is that they can move on, whether they stay in MLS or move on across, whether it be in Europe, South America, Asia, Africa, it does not matter. They get consistent minutes. They're playing in the, you know, for some of the best clubs in the world. That is a victory for our national team. Thank you for calling in. 